Take your Bible, please, and turn it with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. This is our third week on faith's discipline. As you're turning, I want to share with you and bring Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, together with Sunday morning. And I like how the Lord does those things in unique and special ways. So if you can remember this phrase, the the accuracy of your memory will always determine the efficiency of your ministry. The accuracy of your memory will always determine the efficiency of your ministry. When we talk about your ministry, we talk about your service for the king, the sphere of influence in which God has called you to live out your spiritual existence in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. That's your ministry. And the accuracy of your memory will always determine the efficiency and the efficacy of that ministry. You must always remember what God has done. You must always remember who God is. And so on Wednesday night, we talked to you about how to remember what? The works of God, the ways of God, the words of God, and the wonders of God. The Bible says very clearly these words in uh, Psalm 77, verse number 11. I will remember the works of the Lord question is, do you? Remembering the works of God. How about, how about the ways of God? Deuteronomy 8, verses, verses 1 and 2. Remember that the Lord your God has led you all this way. And then you remember the words of God. John 15, verse number 20. Remember the word that I have spoken unto you. Or even Acts 20, verse number 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to remember the works of God. Remember the ways of God. Remember the words of God. And even the wonders of God. For the psalmist says in Psalm 77, verse 11, Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 105 tells us, remember God's wonders. Why is that so important? Why is that just repeat itself over and over and over again? Simply because Israel was prone to forget. Just like you and me. Israel was always prone to forget the works of God the ways of God, the words of God, and the wonders of God. Over in Psalm 106, verse number 6, the psalmist says, We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Wow, that's, that's, that's quite an admission. But why is that? Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not 
remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. If you don't remember, you will rebel. If you don't remember, you will resist. If you don't remember, you will reject what God has said, what God has done. You must remember. And so it says, nevertheless, God, he saved them for the sake of his name that he might make known his power. God saved them for his name's sake. Not for Israel's sake, but for his name's sake. Just like he saved you. Philippians 1.29, you believe on him for his name's sake. You suffer for him for his name's sake. Everything is about God's name. But Israel forgot. So it says, in verse number 12, it says, Then they believed his words. They sang his praises. Verse 13. Yet they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness. Not only did they not remember his wonders, they did not remember his works. And they rebelled in the wilderness because they craved intensely the things that God did not have for them. You ever done that? You ever crave something so much that you want it so badly, it doesn't make any difference what God has said or what God has done. You want it badly. And so the next verse is the verse that my mother quoted to me more than any other verse in the Scriptures. Verse number 15. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. He gave them their desire but sent a leanness to their soul, a barrenness to their soul. You know, sometimes God gives you what you desire, what you crave intensely, just to show you how barren your soul will be, how bleak your life truly is, how your life becomes a wasting disease inwardly because you craved intensely that which God did not want you to have simply because they did not remember the wonders of God or the works of God. So it says, as you read on, that when they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron and the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked they made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a, mo a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. Why? They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot. They just did not remember the accuracy of your memory will always determine the efficiency of your ministry. If you do not remember what God has done, you will rebel against what God has said. And you've got to be very careful about that. Now you ask, why do you tell us this? Because in Hebrews chapter 12, 
there's a reminder that you need to remember. Not the works of God. Not the words of God. Not the ways of God. Listen carefully. Not the word of God. Are you ready? But the whip of God. The whip of God. Look at it. Hebrews 12. He says, verse 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he whips every son whom he receives. The word scourge means to flog with a whip. The writer of Hebrews has says, you have forgotten the exhortation. You have forgotten the words of God concerning the whip of God in your life. God disciplines his own. We forget that. That's why we, we crumble under suffering. We crunder, crumble under hardship and adversity because we have forgotten that the Lord God of Israel disciplines his own. So he tells them in verse number 4 of Hebrews chapter 12, you have not suffered to the point where you are shedding your blood. And that's because he has just talked about those in Hebrews 11 who sacrificed their lives and were willing to shed their blood for the name of Christ because they lived the life of faith. So in his exhortation to help them to live that life of faith, of believing in what God has said, He tells them there must be this investigation, this fixation upon the Christ who has already run before you. And then says, listen, you have not yet shed any blood for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have forgotten. You have forgotten what the Bible says concerning discipline. And and nine times that phrase is used between verses 5 and verse number 11. Because he wants you to understand that God disciplines his own. This is faith's discipline. And so, we told you, there's an intention for discipline. That intention, you remember it, is correctional, preventional, or instructional, right? You've sinned, and God corrects you. It's called correctional discipline. Illustration was David and Bathsheba. Preventional is that God prevents you from sinning, so he allows adversity and difficulty and hardship and suffering to come your way because he wants to prevent you from suffering. Illustration was the Apostle Paul when he was given a messenger from Satan, a thorn in his side, so that he would not exalt himself. He would not become prideful. And God gave it to him to keep him humble. And then there's instructional discipline. Illustration was Job. And all because we read in Job chapter 42 how the Bible says that Job learned He learned what God was teaching him. But he had to go through all that pain, all that suffering, all that loss to realize that God was instructing him, Job, about himself. 
so he would learn him all the more. And Job, listen, he was upright. He was God-fearing. He was a man who loved the Lord. He was blameless, the Bible says, right? But on top of all that, here was a man who needed to know more about the Lord. So the Bible says these words. Here now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. He was open for instruction. The most blameless, God-fearing, upright man on the face of the earth from whom God said there was no one like him on the earth still needed to be instructed in the ways of God. And listen carefully. How do you know you're learning from God? Listen carefully. Next verse. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I loathe myself. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. How do you know you're receiving instruction from the Lord? You learn to loathe yourself. That's a hard thing for us to understand. In our self-absorbed society where everything is about us and we expect everything to come to us, to say I must loathe myself, I must hate myself, I must abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Listen, if the most upright, God-fearing, blameless man on the face of the earth did it, how about us? There is no greater Old Testament character than Job who walked and talked with God. But he suffered immensely. But he learned because of instructional discipline. And we told you, whether it's correctional, preventional, or instructional, it's always conformational, right? It's going to conform you to the image of God. God has an intention to his discipline. He's going to conform you to his image. And that conformational discipline leads to an anticipational discipline where you learn to anticipate the coming of Christ all the more. John John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's all the intention to discipline. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks. And then there was, number two, the caution in discipline. There's a great caution here. He says in verse number uh, six, verse number five, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Listen, don't treat that discipline with disdain and don't treat that discipline with dismay or despair. In other words, don't disdain what God's doing. Not the discipline itself, but the results of what God wants to accomplish. Don't disdain it. Don't treat it lightly. Don't become hardened. Don't become calloused. Don't become careless. Don't just question God all the time. And certainly don't bow under the pressure and crumble under the pressure. Why? Because God's at work doing something unique and special in your life. God is disciplining you to conform you to his image. He wants you to look just like him, speak like him, act like him. He wants you as a child of his to be just like him. That's why we discipline our children. We want them to behave properly. So our father disciplines us so we will behave perfectly. That's what God wants from us. 
And so you have the intention to discipline. You have the caution for discipline. And then you come to verse number three, the verification of discipline. Do you know what? Discipline proves something. It verifies something. And that's what the Bible tells us. Verse six, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What verifies, proves discipline? Two things. You are cherished by God, and you are a child of God. Two things. He cherishes you. He loves you. That's why he disciplines you. He does everything for his glory. But the things that he brings your way, so that you will glorify him all the more. But he does it simply because he loves you. He loves you. Ephesians 1 says, he predestined you to salvation. He loves you, John 3, 16. He redeems you. He loves you. He disciplines you. What father doesn't discipline his child? So the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 32, for if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness, for he does not afflict willingly. The Bible says in Isaiah 63, verse number 9, that in all our affliction, he too was afflicted. He doesn't just feel your pain because he's God and created you. He feels your pain because as a father, he disciplines you. So he does. He disciplines us because he cherishes us. He loves us. But he disciplines us because we are children of his. You know, I don't, I don't discipline your children, and you don't discipline my children. Why? Because I'm not the father of your children, and you're not the father of my children. And you don't love my children like I don't love your children. But I love my own, so I discipline them. God loves his children, so he disciplines them. We, we tend to envy all those people who don't go through suffering, who don't go through hardship, who don't go through pain, who don't go through trial. We envy those people. We should pity those people because they're not experiencing the discipline that you are because you're loved by your Father in heaven who cherishes you as one of his own. So you're owned by God. You're a child of the living God. He wants to conform you to his image. So important. You know, you, you have been to, the, to a store, right? And you've watched children behave obnoxiously in stores. And, and their parents don't do anything. And, and the first thing you, you, you're thinking of is, let me help you with your child. Let me show you what you need to be doing. Because you see, if you love your child, you'll discipline your child. But if you don't love your child, you'll just let him do whatever he wants to do. But if you love them, you discipline them. 
And the word scourge means to flog with a whip. You know, sometimes God's discipline is very severe. Very severe. It hurts. There are many times that my father disciplined me, and it hurt. I remember a time when I was in seventh grade, and I, and I got in a fight at school. And I, and I was sent to the principal's office, and I had to call my father. And I didn't want to do that. But I, he made me call my father. In fact, he dialed the number, and my father answered, so I had to talk. And so I told him what had happened and told him he had to come get me. So he did. Left work, came and picked me up, took me home, and never will I forget the pain that he inflicted on me on that day, saying, you will never, ever do this in school again. That's called correctional discipline, right? And I remember that day very clearly in my mind. And my father made it very clear, it's not a, I'm not going to discipline you because I don't love you. I'm going to discipline because I do love you. And I want you to act properly in public as well as in private because you're representing this family's name in your school. But more than that, you're representing God's name in school. Therefore, I'm going to discipline you. And he did. My father never spared the rod. Never did. And I'm so grateful because you know what? You learn to respect your father. That's what the Bible says very clearly. It says, furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. We respected them. Don't discipline your children, and they will not respect you. Discipline them, and they will respect you. Because what do they know? that you love them enough to inflict discipline upon them that they might behave in a way that honors and glorifies the name of God. Very important. How many times does the Bible speak about fathers disciplining their children? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 24, he withholds his rod, hates his son. Does it get any clearer than that? He withholds the rod, hates his son. I didn't say that. God said that. It says, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Diligently. Not sporadically. Not every once in a while, but diligently. And there's intensity behind that word. There's a zealousness behind that word. Why? Because you love your child. The Bible goes on to say these words. Proverbs Chapter 23, verse number 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. He will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. That's what it says. It says over in Proverbs 22, verse number 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Far from him. And then it says over in Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. How many mothers do you know 
that today are living in shame simply because their child got their own way. That's a sad indictment upon parenting today. We become so busy with other things than the actual ministry we have with our children. If God gives you a child or children, that is your emphasis in life. That is your legacy in life. And you're called to discipline them. Why? Because you're their parents. You're the father. And you love that child. He goes on to say this, correct your son, he will give you comfort. And he also will delight your soul. Ah, that's so good. Correct your son. He will give you comfort. He will delight your soul. Why? Listen. Listen carefully. Your children are the window to the condition of your family. Did you know that? Your children are the window to the condition of your family. They give us a portrait about how it's like in your home. Like we told you over the years, the eyes of the wife are the windows to her relationship to her husband. So now your children are the windows to the condition of your home. That's why Proverbs is so important. You correct your son, he'll give you comfort. Not shame, comfort. He will delight your soul. And the delight of that soul is seen by everybody who observes your children. And that's because you love them in such a way that you will discipline them. You'll correct them. Well, just think, if you love your children, how much more does God love his children? He has an unconditional, volitional kind of love for us. He has a, the, the most beneficial kind of love for us. And while we are yet sinners, he died for us. So his love for us far outweighs our love for our children. And so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you, you have forgotten what the word of God says about discipline, about the, the whip that God yields and wields to make sure that you are like him. So he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. He says, be cautious about this because we don't, we don't want you to disdain that discipline or become dismayed at the discipline. Why? Because of what it verifies, what it proves. It proves you are cherished by God and that you are a child of God. How great is that? So you have the intention to discipline. You have the caution in discipline. You had the verification of discipline. And then you had the culmination of discipline. So the writer says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For, the dis for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. That's true. 
but sorrowful, absolutely. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Listen, what is the culmination of discipline? Three things, liveliness, holiness, and righteousness. When we're disciplined by God, we live. In other words, it's just not that we're alive, but there's a liveliness about our lives. There is enthusiasm. There is a vitality. There is energy. There, there's a vigorousness about our lives. We're different children because we've been disciplined by him. Why? Because now we live for him. And to live for him instills vitality and energy in your life. Because you want to honor his name. You've been corrected by him. You have been disciplined by him to be to be prevented from sin. You've been disciplined by him to instruct you in the ways of God. You've been disciplined by him to conform you to his image. You've been disciplined by him to anticipate his coming again and your glories in heaven. And if that doesn't cause you to live the, the liveliest life, then there's a major problem with you spiritually. Because God's at work. There's a liveliness, but there's also the fact that we are partakers of his holiness. You know, there's only one kind of holiness in the world. It's his holiness. There's no other kind of holiness. It's his holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. So he wants us to be partakers of his holiness. Everything about his discipline moves us in that direction. He wants to purge away the dross. Take away those things that hinder our development that we might share in his holiness. And the third element is righteousness, that we might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you know that a righteous life yields the greatest fruit possible? Because it's fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of a holy life. It's the fruit of a righteous life. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 32, verse number 17. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Wow. Think about that. Quietness and confidence forever. Forever. See, that's where God's leading you. That's where God's moving you. Do you remember what happens in the Old Testament? To the child who is not subject to discipline and will not follow discipline? The Old Testament tells us this in Proverbs chapter, um, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse number 18. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and his mother... And when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. He's rebellious. Then his father and mother shall seize him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. 
Now think about that. God was serious about children obeying their parents. And when the father would discipline his child, and that child rebelled and did not listen and would not obey, they would take him to the elders of the city. This is our son. And the elders don't say, well, son, is this the way it is? Oh, no. It was the parent's word, and that's all the word that mattered. And they took him out, and they stoned him to death. So that all Israel will what? Fear, disobeying their fathers. All that became emblematic of Israel not listening to their heavenly father, the Lord God of Israel. That their lives were at stake. That they could not afford afford to rebel and, and not listen to the words of God. The writer of of Hebrews is saying, let me tell you something about faith's discipline. It is something that God does. You can't afford to forget what he said. You can't afford to forget what he does. You can't afford to forget the whip that God wields. Because it's all because you're his children and you are cherished by him. He wants you to Become a partaker of his righteousness. He wants you to live a righteous, uh, partaker of his holiness. He wants you to live a, a righteous life. And he wants you to live a life that's alive for his glory. So, having said that, let me remind you what Peter says in his epistle about those who were being chastened, suffering, not because of anything they had done, simply because they were believers in the Lord Jesus. But they were suffering greatly. They were being, for lack of a better phrase, chastised. And God was allowing all this to happen. And Peter says these words. 1 Peter 5, verse number 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The the phrase, the mighty hand of God, is a phrase that symbolizes, from the Old Testament, the destiny of Israel. The destiny of Israel in two categories. Always one of two. The destiny in terms of their discipline or the destiny in terms of their deliverance. But read through the book of Exodus. Read through the book of Deuteronomy. And everything about the mighty hand of God was the hand that mightily proved Israel's destiny. It always happened through discipline and deliverance. But Peter says, you need to Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he says this, that he may exalt you at the proper time. God is going to exalt you at the proper time. So I want you to think about your life. And where are you right now under God's mighty hand of discipline? 
And are you humbling yourself under that mighty hand? Because that's the hand that's going to move you toward holiness, his holiness, his righteousness, and your liveliness. And then he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Of course he does. That's what he does. And then down in verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, it's not going to be forever, but it is going to be for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's going to do something. After you've suffered for a little while, he is going to perfect you. The word perfect is a word used of of the mending of nets in the Gospels. The restoration of nets. Nets that had been fragmented, tied back together. After you've suffered for a little while, what God is going to do, he's going to tie every loose end together so that you're complete. There's nothing lacking. There are no holes in your righteousness or your holiness. He's going to tie it all together. And then he's going to make you as solid as granite. He is going to, as the Bible says, confirm you. It means to solidify you. So not only will supply that which is lacking, he's going to solidify everything in your life so that you're as strong as granite. Then he's going to strengthen you. He's going to fill you with his strength, it says. And then he's going to establish you. In other words, he's going to settle you. So your life is foundational. So he's going to supply that which is lacking. In supplying that which is lacking, he is going to solidify everything about your life so it's as strong as granite. He is going to strengthen you and he's going to settle you only after you've suffered for a little while. And some might say, well, I I have been suffering for a little while and, and I'm not being solidified. I'm certainly not being settled. I'm certainly not being strengthened. I'm miserable, and I wish it would end, but it hasn't. So what do you do? You go back up earlier to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 6, verse number 5. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when it says in verse number 10 that the God of all grace will do this, God only dispenses his grace to the humble. He doesn't dispense his grace to the proud. And so you must go back and humbly submit yourself to the mighty hand of God's destiny. No matter how hard the discipline might be, God is doing it for a great and mighty purpose in your life. Because you're cherished by Him. And you're a child of His. And He wants for you more 
than you want for yourself. And he is in the process of working out great things in your life. So I challenge you that you submit yourself to God's mighty hand of destiny. See that you are cherished by him and a child of his, that you might live for his glory and his honor and thank him for all that he's doing because he loves you so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, the opportunity you give us to study your word. You are a great God. Thank you for your discipline in our lives. Thank you for how you correct us, how you redirect us, how you grow us and instruct us in your ways. Lord, help us not to be ignorant or not understanding for the things you are doing in our lives. There is never a time where you are not at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Help us to see it and sense it and then submit ourselves to it that we might best represent you on this planet until you come again as you most surely will to take us to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.